Welcome to Speaking in Songs. I'm your host, Jeff Julian. I had an absolute blast talking to Pamela Maurer, the brains behind Holiday Magic, as well as Baby Money and the Down Payments. We breezed in on the sounds of the L to discuss her music, the confluence of songs and video, and how visual art has influenced her work. We also talked about how surviving the pandemic altered her latest project, the visual audio song suite, Holiday Magic. You may also know Pamela from her main Chicago project, Baby Money and the Down Payments, a three-piece that plays in the same realm as garage rockers and groups of the 60s and 70s with roof-shaking foot stompers inspired by soul, gospel, and R&B. We talk about the transformation from Baby Money to Holiday Magic and even spend some time on one of the stars of the videos. That's right, the blow-up doll, Bruce. You can hear and see the Holiday Magic music and videos at babymoney.bandcamp.com and youtube.com slash babymoneyforever, as well as all the Baby Money stuff at Instagram and Facebook at babymoneyforever. And don't forget to stick around after the interview to hear Forgive Me from Holiday Magic. And now, here's my conversation with Pamela. control yeah i mean is it just like shake and rattle your walls uh very rarely i'm pretty close to the station so it's usually pretty slow by me but the uh every once in a while you just get like because it's i think it's because it's so empty right now like the trains are running a little faster i think than they would normally run yeah so you know sometimes you get like a bat out of hell train but i can also there's i have one other room that i can also go to that's a little bit i think it'll be fine yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> uh, it, it's so funny though, because we just moved in, in the fall and we had looked at a couple of different places that are, that are near the train and, you know, you just sort of, you just, it, it's very hard to envision, right? Like you can talk yourself into, it's not going to be that bad when you're looking at it from the outside or you walk through once uh-huh. and then, <laughs> you know, that's how they get you. Right. Well, the irony, especially, is that my last place, I, they were actually doing street construction that was actually rattling the walls. Okay. And right. I had I had called the city like over three, like three or four times. I called my landlord. I was like, I don't know what to do. I had two framed pictures fall off the wall in the middle of the day and like shatter everywhere. <laughs> and this is yeah, all during the pandemic, by the way. So it's like yeah. all day. Yeah. I'm home with this like rattling, shaking sound. So I was like, I got to move right. to a quieter place. And then the place I found is like right by the train. <laughs> yeah. Well, we ended up buying right across the street from uh, a fire station. So, you know, we're getting oh. that about, you know, eight, nine, ten times during the day. You eventually, it all becomes background noise, right? City noise is just is just white noise. And so eventually it all just kind of kind of goes away. But there's occasions where middle of the night you're like whoa fire truck here we go all right <laughs> i feel like it's those that's i think that's kind of actually kind of similar to this here like i feel like i notice the train like maybe five times a day and it's always yeah. like when i'm on the phone with somebody and there's like a bat out of hell train or like in the middle of the night just like randomly there will be like a worker outside like hammering you know and like <laughs> right. like 
yeah, I'm not far. So it's, it's a little goofy and I'm exactly on the second floor too. Like exactly the same level as the train is the other goofy part. Oh, so like, okay. Yeah. Sometimes like when I'm working, I'll, I'll kind of like look out and I'll see, you know, like the normal paste one and you, I can see inside, like I can read, I feel like I can read the maps inside. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, if so you could just it, reach out and no, don't do that. Don't touch cool. the train. I, I actually like it. It makes, you know, it makes me feel like, I don't know how you feel about the fire station, but it does remind me that I'm in a city, which, you know, is, is exciting. So I don't know. I, I love city sounds and me this too. city in particular, Chicago is just, you know, I, it's my, I, I just love to walk around and yeah, look at buildings too. and, oh, I hear it. I love it. Yeah, yes. there it is. It's right outside. That's, that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's, it's actually, just like, it's kind of soothing almost. It is. Yeah. I could see myself being rocked to sleep every, every seven to 10 minutes by, uh, by, by whatever line <laughs> that is. So yeah, no, but it is, it's just part of it. Right. And, and it does yeah. become this wondrous thing that, you know, whether you're on an L train or you're walking under the tracks or it's, uh, it's fun. It is what makes the city special. So, um, I, I definitely feel that way. Yeah. Good. We're of like mind. So let me ask you this. Would you believe that we are basically recording this episode on the one year anniversary of the lockdown and pretty much the end pause on live music? So how's that for starting things off on a high note? I actually thought about that this morning when I woke up, I was like, oh yeah, we're doing it today because we had moved it. Uh, and I was supposed to be on a plane this time last year, today, last year, uh, I was supposed to be flying, uh, back to my hometown, which is not a city at all. Um, so I haven't been able to go for a long time. So yeah, I was supposed to, yeah, it was, it was such an, a wild day last year to just be like, you know, I think maybe like five days before I was going to fly, it looked like it was maybe not going to be a really very good idea anymore to go on this trip. And, uh, but I was kind of waiting it out and then I got furloughed from my job on the 12th and I was like, well, I, now I can't even afford this trip, even if it is a good idea. That's right. Yeah. Thanks for taking care of my travel arrangements for me. Exactly. Like that made the decision pretty easy. (laughs) Um, but yeah, the very next day on the 13th, I remember, you know, they were saying everybody go to the grocery store and I had, I had an empty fridge because I was about to go out of town. Yeah, exactly. So I had nothing in the house. Like I had nothing, you know, you had to and, like, really I, get it in gear. It was crazy. I don't think I've ever spent that much at the grocery store in my life. You know, like <laughs> I live alone. I don't have a roommate right. or anything. So it's like, yeah. I don't have a pet. I don't have like very expensive taste. So, you know, all of a sudden they're like ringing it up and I'm like, Oh, that's half my tax return. <laughs> Cause like, I didn't know <laughs> yeah. when I was going to be able to go back. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, and, and solo like, grocery shopping is so specific too, right? You're like, okay, I only need one chicken breast. Why is this package have 18 in, in there? I, I don't need yeah. that many, right? Well, and I felt like all the single serve stuff was the stuff that almost went first. So yeah, everything was like a gigantic size. Like I remember I I you know, I take cream in my coffee in the morning, for example, and I usually buy one of those like little shorty cartons mm-hmm. that if I can get through it, you know, before it goes bad, it lasts yeah. me like a couple weeks normally. Right. And the smallest one you could even buy was like half a gallon of half and half. Like who <laughs> drinks, who needs half a gallon of half and half ever? Somebody, and so I was like, 
Yeah, my, my mom was like, oh, just put it in baggies and freeze it. So all of a sudden I'm like freezing baggies full of oh, stuff. Boy. And I was just like, what am I doing? Like, yeah. how is this real? It was so surreal. So do you remember the last show you saw and the last show you played before the lockdown? So I was actually supposed to play a show on February, I think it was the 26th. I was trying to remember this. And uh, by February 26th, it was already kind of questionable, yeah. like, to be in a crowd. Right. This one's a loud one. That's going to come by. <laughs> Here comes a lot of trains. I like it. But it's they're, all good. They're doing, like, construction, so they're skipping my station every once in a while, I think, is what I'm learning. I'm becoming, like, a train guy, by the way. In my <laughs> you really are. Anyway. We'll, 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 we'll have to do a second follow-up uh, train-specific podcast. So yeah, so yeah, we will. Please. I'm going to be much more uh, train knowledgeable by the end of Excellent. my stay here. Um, I like it. Yeah. But uh, so, yeah, so I was supposed to play a show I, I on February 26th, which was like an early week, kind of nothing, no big deal show. Yep. And one of the bands, the actual, the headliner, who was a, t- a touring band, they, one of the band members uh, lived with someone who was immunocompromised. And so okay. they canceled that show. That was the first time I was like, oh, this is going to, it's going to be a while. Like, cause right. I didn't have anything on, on the books until April. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so I think if I have this right, my last show was February 4th of last year. Okay. Um, which was a week before I was going to fly home to my hometown. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I haven't played, you know, I mean, I've done a couple live stream type things. Yeah, and- sure. Um, I released, you know, my album thing, but actually playing live with or in front of anybody has, it's been a year and a month. So strange, right? So strange. Yeah. And I did see a show on March 2nd, which my friend hosted like a DIY kind of situation. Awesome. Um, so that was like a backyard kind of a little, it was cold if i recall and it was like a little bit like thrown together like hey we might not be able to do this very much longer yeah yeah so right I, let's I do something that <laughs> yeah exactly but i but yeah the last like actual show i saw was sometime in february at empty bottle okay and that's, that's the last I show know. i played was at the the last show we played was at empty bottle in january like the oh en- end God. of january and then the last show i saw was at talia hall uh andy Schauf. And, and, and his Ugh. band. So that was a, but yeah, it was weird. Cause I believe that was the weekend. Like it was either like a Thursday or Friday of the, of the weekend when the, the lockdown was going in. And you know, at that point, uh-huh. like it wasn't entirely clear what we were dealing with. So we were dealing with something, right. You know, but it, it wasn't yeah, clear it was if it was so like, mysterious. wash your hands and, you know, and masks weren't totally happening yet. So you look back at some of the things you did, like right before we went into lockdown and you think, holy cow, <laughs> you know, wh- well, like how that lucky trip I was took that? To the grocery store that I described, I yep. was in, in line for at least 45 minutes. It was packed. None yeah. of us had a mask on. Right. Right. Like yeah. <laughs> not a single person. It's so crazy. Yeah. So I think the last time I saw you, like in the olden days before pandemic, was at <laughs> Sleeping Village for uh, the Girls Rock Chicago event. 
that oh, yeah. we did. And I remember us having a conversation about like promotions and bringing people out for shows and how hard that can be sometimes. And in retrospect, I think to myself, I'd happily play or be at, be at or part of a show in a bar where very few people were at at this point, right? Like that Isn't would that be ironic. That would just yeah, we be used great. To like, we used to get so bummed if there was nobody there. And now it's like, that's all I want. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just open it up. I'll stand in there alone and play. Exactly. So. Please. <laughs> I guess gratitude, right? Like it, 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 re, it reshaped and re, reframed gratitude in so many different ways, but especially for any audience, any size audience. Oh my gosh, yeah. yeah. So let's dig into this new album. It's a real departure from the, you know, the, the Baby Money EPs and albums. Um, you know, for starters, this is a visual album. And while the songs stand alone as audio constructions, there's like a 3D quality to the experience when you're kind of engaging both visually and orally. So how did the two mediums affect one another in the writing process? And were you driven by the visuals or by the songs themselves first? Oh, man, that's such a good question. Um, so the way I've always thought about songwriting, like I've been doing art and music and whatever, uh, you know, whatever kind of crafty weirdness I, okay. I've always been up to since I was yeah. a child. So for me, even the baby money material is in my mind vis very visual. Okay. Um, I'm not very good at revealing that, but the way I refer to my lyric writing notebook, for example, okay. or even my demos. My first Tumblr, I all, have, I always have called those things my sketchbook. Sure, sure. And I've always thought of like the baby money. There, there with baby money. There's this, this whole like backstory to who she is that drives how we write the songs. That drives how which lyrics we choose. That drives you know things that we employ during our performances. Yeah. Um, the uniforms, which are obviously a visual choice. So, so it's already been like kind of in my. I don't know, thought process that I like making, you know, I'm an artist as a job. So like for my day job, I make scenery mm -hmm. and, and exhibitry and stuff like that. Right. Um, so, you know, it's just like my brain's already kind of in tune that way. And then the irony about this album is that I, it actually is kind of like part of the backstory of baby money. So oh, the okay. original intention was to do, like a, like a three-dimensional installation in a gallery where we would perform this material once, which would then become kind of part of the backstory of like the baby money epic. Wow. Like okay. Baby money is at that show, sees this band, has okay. an experience and then like starts her band. It's kind wow. of how it okay. was in our imagination. And by us, I mean myself, my drummer, Sarah for baby yep. money. And then Brad, who goes by Barbara Bush, who produced this record. He also produced the last baby money. Okay. Um, record fantastic so anyway like we kind of all had been brainstorming in different ways sarah and i about baby money brad and i about just doing something different i've always wanted to do like a dance record or something kind of poppy and feminine mm -hmm. um something like light-hearted i've always wanted to you know I've, i have a good friend who's always challenged me like write a love song please just write a love song i bet you could like <laughs> license a love song and make a million dollars and then you can go back yeah. to your you know baby money is obviously like this is not very lovey. It's like yeah. more rock and roll. So, yeah. so anyway, with all of these influences in my mind, I was like, okay, so if I was going to write a love song, like what would it be like? Yeah. And like, what is love? Like what is 
pop music? Yeah. How do you make pop music? You know, yeah. like, so I started watching like YouTube videos and like reading goofy articles and, um, you know, at the same time I was kind of collecting visual imagery from yeah. various sources. So I kind of had like the, vi- the actual visual of the look of me as a performer, the look of the, the type of yeah. performance I would want to do if it was live, what, what would the color palette be? What would the influences be visually? Those all came kind of first. Mm. And as I started <clears throat> thinking about it, I, you know, all of a sudden, like, it, it was like, you know, you absorb so much information and all of a sudden just, you just get like a burst of creative energy or this happens to me. I think it's common with creative people that you'll kind of all of a sudden just like catch this wind, like yes. this kind of yeah. feeling of like, whoa, I got yeah. it. You know, here it comes. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And so I just like wrote a bunch of demos and I did it very intentionally, like at the laundromat, like on my laptop using like musical typing. And then I would like run home and like do little scratch vocals over. And I just busted out like 12 songs. Okay. Once I had that many songs, I I took the visual inspiration, which I had kind of like folded into, you know, maybe like six or seven photographs, like two or three chunks of video, a couple pieces of film, you know, I had this like very kind of clear vision of the colors and I brought those things and I brought the demos to Brad. Um, and then, and that's when we started doing the, the songs. But the irony again is that I only intended to have this be like a one-time performance that we record on, on video. That would be like a live, you know, gallery kind of of like a one shot. Yeah, exactly. And and treat it more like documentary footage in this like future project for baby money versus like trying to make like a music video. That was the mm-hmm. original idea. Mm-hmm. But when pandemic happened, we, we finished the demos for these February 11th, 2020. Or <laughs> we finished the masters, excuse me. Yeah, um, right. Yeah. So we were done February 11th of 2020. And right. we thought, great, that'll give us plenty of time to schedule a show like yeah. end of May. Oh, boy. Um, uh-huh. And right. then when everything kind of closed, like I at first thought maybe just a shelf this project because I think the recordings are cool. You know, originally we had wanted to do more, but we kind of stopped at seven just to kind of bust it out for the show. Okay. Um, so, you know, there was the thought, do we go back? Do we make it a full length thing? Do we fun, you know, crowdfund and, and put it on a vinyl? Like what, yeah. what should we do with this set of music? Right. And, you know, simultaneously, I got furloughed. I've always wanted to play with video. Um, So it just was like, well, why don't we just, how can I, Pamela, by myself, with the resources I have around me, you know, my house, my (laughs) cell phone, my, you know. My many, uh, my, my many ounces of creamer. What can I? Exactly. Yes. My frozen baggies of have enough. Like, what do I have that I could like, and how could I cheaply like in creatively like rearrange my space and film myself and just like, what could I make that way? You know? And, and like, uh, I literally had like microphone stands with clip plates and like my iPhone duct tape to them. And like, just like started making video to go with the music. And I then sent the visuals that I was working with to a couple of collaborators. And I thought, you know, Hey, if you wanted to contribute to this, one is a comedian, one is a dancer choreographer. Yeah. And she, and the dancer choreographer came back right away and was like, hell yeah. 
Right. And I know another dancer choreographer who would like to do this too. Um, so it just kind of like grew, you know, my drummer came down for a day and like, she filmed me from her minivan while I like, so we could stay socially distant. And <laughs> right. like, you know, it was just like, it was just like a goofy, like wild yeah. kind of experiment, but it felt, you know, it felt like we were getting to the spirit of that original idea of something that felt kind of live, pretty right now, pretty temporary, like maybe like a one-time only experience. You know what I mean? Like something you would have yeah. to catch late at night, you know, on public access totally. show, that kind of a vibe. Yeah. Like, Oh my God, I wish I could find that clip. I saw a million years ago or that weird documentary yeah. or that weird, right. the victory auto you know. wreckers commercial or something like exactly. that. Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And like, um, you know, Spinguli, like just, yeah. you know, those things that you like treasure, but that you can't, you have to kind of catch it in the moment. So well, and, that was kind the, of, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, oh no, that, that was just kind of like how, how it started to come to fruition is like, okay, here we have, we already had a visual language. We already had this audio stuff. Like, okay, how do we kind of recreate the spirit that we were originally going for? Yeah. And there's an, there's an absurdity in, in living in the pandemic, right? I mean, obviously mm -hmm. we, you know, we all acknowledge the absolute tragedy with, with, within that and the, and the loss. But then when you kind of retreat to your day-to-day -day life and survival, and like you talked about social distancing from your drummer to, you know, th there's that absurdity of, of, of the mundane elements of life. And, and it, and so it almost becomes kind of like silly. And, and I can feel that in, in the video for sure that, a, that, that accompanies these songs, you know, there's a, there's a cheeky playfulness to it all, which I, which oh, I really think you. is fun. Thank you. I, de I definitely like use humor as a coping mechanism myself. So I was worried at points that I was being like too irreverent because it is a really heavy yeah. time. It's horrible right. what's going on. At, right. in, there's a million terrible things happening every day. It's awful. That's right. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, there are these moments of humor and grace. I feel like, you know, after the like, 10th day of trying to communicate over zoom, we all had to kind of like uh, communally lower our expectations of one another, become more patient. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. we had to kind of like put, a, okay, this is not going to work like it right. did. So yeah. how, you know, and like, I think, yeah, the absurdity that comes from even small things like today I went to the park. My boyfriend is a jazz bassist. His friend just wanted to play outside. It was nice enough for them, yeah. you know, to play their acoustic instruments outside. Yep. Yep. Um, and even like the absurdity of like, you know, he's a saxophone player, like playing saxophone. And then, you know, is, is it safe for him to play saxophone and, you know, overhearing a father tell his right. young child, who's very concerned about the safety of the saxophone player, right. that it's okay that he's not wearing his mask because he's outside and he's far away. And right. it was just like, ah, like even the small, smallest, like simplest, easiest things are just like monumental. And yeah. Well, especially with the jazz saxophone, it's basically like a bazooka for germs. You know, it's just exactly. Yeah. So everybody's like thirty feet away from this <laughs> right. poor guy trying to play. And he even said he's like, I, "Next time I'm going to put a uh, like a shower cap over the end." Right. He's like, "I yeah. just don't want people to be so weird." But. Like a thirty foot uh, painted ring, and he's playing inside of it. You know, I know, right? I think about that as a singer, actually. Like, oh, you know, for sure, I would yeah. love to be outside you know, playing guitar and singing, but either you 
are in a mask, which, you know, feels safe, but you, yeah. I, I don't think I could project over a no. mask very successfully. Right. And like, I think that would really remove some things or you like just are just yelling germs at strangers. Right. So I don't know. <laughs> Come on over kids. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's sing together. Except yeah. Further away, please. <laughs> so I, I mentioned the, 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 the playfulness that I was picking up in there and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm going to go out on a limb here. I think it's fair to say there's a certain wry sexuality to some of these songs and videos too. I mean, there, there's a sex doll in one of the videos after all, but, yes. but even yeah. that video kind of speaks to the tenderness of relationships. So w- without me implying them, what, what were some of the themes you wanted to explore within the songs and the videos and, and why did you choose those themes? Um, Oh man, you have such great questions. This is fun to talk about. Uh, oh, thank I, you. this is a lot of stuff I haven't been able, you know, really able to get part of not seeing people is you don't get to check in about like what you're making. So yeah. like, it's, it's cool to be able to reflect it out loud, actually. So thank you very much for the opportunity. You got it. Um, yeah. Uh, well, you are very, you are very true. There is, I am a playful person. I think humor is really important. Um, I'm a sensual person. I'm a Taurus. We're ruled by Venus, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I, right. I feel very, um, very much that as, like that my best expression of feminism is to kind of like own my like reality, you know, to be really honest about like what, who I am and like where, where I am and what life feels like from my point of view, because it's the only point of view I really can accurately share. Um, so when my friend that I mentioned earlier challenged me like years ago to start writing love songs, I always wrote it off as like, like <laughs> I, I was very skeptical. I was you know, very eye rolly. Like I write about anti-capitalist themes, bro. Mm-hmm. Like I, don't, <laughs> right. I write, I write about like, I'm a political artist. Like I do not write about like love. Right. Um, I can give you a but, Marxist love song, but not a Richard exactly, Marx Yeah, exactly. Or I can so. pretend that something is, you know, use love as a euphemism. I love using relationship yeah. type lyrics as euphemisms for, um, you know, more like broader sure. socioeconomic themes. Cause yeah. that's romantic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh boy. I mean, but, uh, so many major uh, Hollywood movies have used that as their you know, <laughs> central you <know>. theme. <laughs> It's it should really become its own genre, like rom-com, Eunice. No, I, I the so when I started writing, when I started thinking about like what a love song was, like in that same vein of like, okay, if I'm going to be accurately representing myself as a human person right now, like, which you know, I was in filming myself, like it's a really vulnerable, weird thing to do. It's it yeah. feel, especially because like I was alone, you know? So like sometimes I would think I did something really awesome or whatever. And my camera would be like slightly fucked up and I hadn't noticed or like not <laughs> <Right>. on <laughs> or like, right. you know, the blow up dolls, like not in the frame. You have to do the whole thing over right. again. And yeah. I was going to ask, like, did, did the doll have a name and was he a good performer? I mean, that is his really, his name is yeah. Bruce Mann okay. and 
he he's a very generous uh sharing performer <laughs> he's Sag really card. does whatever yeah he's kind of like he's down for whatever good good <laughs> great improviser <laughs> uh, not creepy um, right well i mean and that's all you really want in a collaborator so. <laughs> yeah really yeah i go for good improv- improviser not creepy those are yeah. my two yeah those no, are I- important Exactly. Yeah. I think actually that video is like a really good example. So like, so what I decided to do when I was like, okay, I'm going to write about love is like, so I'm looking into these visually, I was looking at these kind of hyper feminized, like I was really getting into like this subculture of Japanese fashion with like the Harajuki girls. And like, I was also like looking at bondage and like, there's like, like a trend of this like pastel and shimmery, like really like girly Barbie colored, like bondage. That's oh, like really okay. cool and interesting. Yeah. yeah. And then I was also looking at like Audrey Hepburn and like, you know, Rockette Tiffany. So like, I kind of had this like broad lens of like what I find to be curious or interesting or beautiful or like, you know, I aspire to be more like Audrey Hepburn, but man, if I could pull off one of those crazy pinafore dresses covered in bows, I totally would. Yeah. You know? So like, I was just kind of like filling my like eyeballs with like feminine, like, like sex, like what women do, what women use, what society applies to ladies to create the idea of romance right Mm -hmm. that's and i think that's a lot of what love songs are about like her eyes are like this her hair is like that right she is so sweet and young she is so this and that like yeah very um, reductive so just kind of exactly yeah so i was kind of trying to like kind of do my own version of that like reduction of like okay well what kind of a woman am i talking about like what kind of a relationship am i talking about And then I also was kind of looking at like tropes of love songs. Like there's always like the breakup song, the makeup song, like the sex song, the crush song. Um, So like that first, that opening song. And the reason I actually chose to open with it, which is the song that features the, the visual part of that song features this relationship between like me and this blow up doll, like, you know, meeting, falling in love, basically breaking up during the course of the like mm-hmm. thing. And the break that's the breakup song. And I chose to put that first because then the rest of the album is starting from, okay, well now what? Like now, which is kind of the feeling that I think I had when pandemic started actually like, okay. It, it was almost like, yeah, going through like a really horrible breakup where For like sure. yeah. it took a couple months of like, crying and like yeah. upset and yeah and you know reach out to friends and then the lows and then the whole thing and then the kind of moment where you're like okay now what right um yeah and that's kind of where like the rest of the songs come you know you have the crush the whatever the whatever and like for me that it, it was important to represent a lot some level of sexuality because i am an adult woman and that is part of love and dating in my Mm -hmm. world and in my friend world too, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's not something we don't talk about. It's not, it's not taboo. So it's, it was kind of interesting to like think about, you know, like modern pop songs, especially like 
you know, what was that song that Tucker Carlson was so upset about? WAP. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, like, come on, it's time for us to just like get over it. Like, right. let's talk about sex, <laughs> baby. That's it's right. part of what we all are looking for. And, you know, so I think that was important to me. And then I think the other thing that, that came like that um, was kind of surprising was that my collaborators when filming themselves were going through the same kind of kinds of emotions that I was, which all of us kind of were reflecting, felt very teenage of like, like self-conscious, but confident, um, you know, sexy, but also totally goofball. Like, what am I doing? Um, and that, that kind of youthful, like teenage, like the fact that we couldn't go to a bar, like to meet a friend or to have a date right now. I met my boyfriend during a pandemic. Like we met at a park for the first time, you know, Yeah, we met and we talked on the phone for the first like five dates that we had. It wasn't, it it was, it was like being a teenager again, being kind of locked out of adult life in a way. Like, so that's kind of, I think what influence that, that influence was just present in all of our own self-recordings and so like as I was editing it and stuff I I tried to like really bring that kind of goofy naivete like forward because it it was charming to me to see my collaborators experience it and it was charming to feel it in myself you know yeah and it's so neat that you had that 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 there was that connection that they were sort of having those same experiences and that it was it was coming through in the work that they were sharing with you and so then that all sort of builds up and and almost lifts up that theme that you were thinking of on your own. Yeah, yeah, and it it honestly it informed me to even go back and re-record some things. Of you know, I changed like I changed my outfit pretty drastically from uh, the first uh, the very first video I did of myself at the beginning of pandemic. You know, att- try attempting this stuff and after working with collaborators, I went back and redid actually a whole video because I thought, you know what, like my fashion doesn't feel in line with the, my, my collaborators. Like it just didn't look right. That's really interesting to me that you say it that way, because that strikes me as such a song recording approach to, to, to video. And I'll, I'll, I'll try to kind of, elaborate on what what I think I'm trying to say. You know, I, I think when you think of video that that accompanies music, right? That it's all storyboarded out and and you're gonna go do something very specific and then mm-hmm. then then when you're done, it's done. Right. And so mm-hmm. for you to kind of approach video in that way where it it's almost like a guitar solo, right? Or something after after somebody else has played and then you're like, well this doesn't fit anymore. This is completely I I got to go back and redo it. So it's just, it's interesting to me that you would, you would approach video that way too. That's so interesting. I actually, I hadn't really thought about it before this moment, but I know uh, Sarah actually commented that she like looked at one of my, I screen shared with her one of the um, edits of one of the videos that I was working on because I wanted her feedback and she was like, Whoa, dude, you've stacked up all your clips. Like, uh, I stack up tracks when I'm doing a recording. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, I don't have any training in video, you know, or really in recording, but I've been in recording sessions so much that that, that is kind of how my brain, I think just automatically put it together, Yeah. especially because for me, the visual and the audio, like you said, I hope, or I hope it's true that 
the audio stands alone without the visual. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of hope it's true that the visual also communicates the story without any audio, but the visual really, really is, de- in my mind, is really cut to the sound, yeah. to the beats, to the to the vibes of the of the audio. Um, which again and like go ahead sorry I, oh and yeah so that's the it made sense actually a couple times to go back and, and either reshoot or add um you know add stuff back in or take stuff away you know to help kind of keep it clear yeah i guess but just okay. when, when when you're saying the videos cut cut to the music. Right. But I still go back to what you were talking about before, where, you know, you were starting with that visual kind of almost like a sketchbook of, of, mm-hmm. of ideas. And so to think that first the, the music would be defined by what you were thinking visually, and then to come back and then still have the music get, um, influence the video. It's just a very circular, almost creative approach where um, the, the mediums are pushing against one another, but I, but I think it worked. It certainly produced something that I think is visually appealing and, and fun to listen to and beyond fun. Fun's not the, it, it is fun, but I mean, there, there's more there as well, especially as you've talked more about the, the thematic pieces, but um, yeah, I just, I, I think that's a, it, it it reminds me of something that, that I was messing around with sort of like starting a song on guitar and then playing synth parts to replace the guitar parts and then working from the synth parts to build a song. Right. It's where That's, it's almost like, yeah. you're, you're trying to like push. I totally hear that. You're almost like laundering uh, the original piece to get yourself away from whatever sort of uh, preconceived kind of habits you have maybe writing and then you're like, okay, well now I can start completely fresh because this is different than what I originally put down. That's so yes. Yep. Absolutely. (laughs) You're like speaking directly to the whole thing actually. So talk Um, about the bargain. Go go ahead. Go ahead. uh, Oh no. It's just, it's like a constant, it's like you're tricking yourself constantly. And you almost have to after a certain point, right? Because uh, uh, writers get very bad habits of, well, this worked before; it should work again, right? I'll just, mm-hmm. it'll, I'll make it sound a little bit different, but it'll be the same pattern that's always worked. I know. I get. I fall into it with lyrics too. Words that I reuse and reuse, and I'm like, why do I always go there? Like, why is that rhyme so cemented in my brain, or that one yeah. word for that one feeling? It just it like, scratches the itch. Yeah, it does. And yeah, I often will be like, ah, this is a great song and I'll play it first era, especially. It'll show you like, mm, I think we already have that song, dude. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, you're right. Yeah. Damn it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, talk ah. about talk about the bargain showcase hour because that is so much fun. And, you know, where, where did that come from and why did you use it as, it's almost like the thematic organizer so to speak. It's like the file folder in which all of these songs and videos are, are, are sitting in. That is a very, uh, actually pretty accurate way to describe it. Um, the bargain hour showcase live is like, is a, <laughs> let me say, try to do this as, as straight line and as possible. Okay. All right. Um, so you know how, 
Okay, I am definitely like a magpie. So I'm constantly collecting little bits of inspiration, just constantly. Yeah. And it's like, I try my best to kind of allow my mind to, to make the connections it will and file the information however it will. Because I have tried before to like keep things, you know, like just so, or I don't know, try to make more logical connections than maybe my brain wants to make. And anyway, my imagination is pretty wacky and I just have learned over the years that I should just let it do its thing. Yeah. And so like the whole, so holiday magic, the name uh, comes from a, the first, basically the first MLM like pyramid scheme. Um, All right. This like random cheese ball, like kind of con artist dude um, found a random garage full of ladies beauty products and like created a, uh, you know, Avon type uh, organization to sell these beauty (laughs) products. And he called it holiday magic. So one of the ideas I had to tie holiday magic back into the baby money epic, which again, baby money like has a story all her own, but she's basically living in like a post economic and internet collapse. Okay. And like in a, in a place where like money doesn't really exist and like the internet doesn't really exist anymore and what that would mean for our society. So anyway, so in the universe of baby money, the idea was that holiday magic was this like band that she had seen, but then I wanted to take it a step further and I was like, oh, it'd be so funny if at this show that we were planning, instead of having an actual album, I had like a pamphlet that you can sign up. <laughs> and if you signed up two of your friends, you got a CD, you know, something yeah. like that. Yeah. You know, something very like obviously marketing scheming, right. like goofy. Right. Um, and so when, again, the, like the show aspect of it couldn't happen, I was like, okay, well, what would that be? What is an equivalent? And since I knew for sure that the two dance uh, ladies were going to be working from cell phones, that was the only technology they had. And yeah. I, therefore, I was going to be working from a cell phone. I was like, okay, maybe. And I knew that we had kind of discussed like 90s fashion a little bit. The girls and I had, the the two choreographer ladies, um, Sabrina and Lucia are their names. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, so like, okay, putting myself back into like late night TV, 90s art school, what would be the pyramid schemey type vibe? <laughs> of course, it would be like QVC. So I had played some solo sets for a couple like late night at Second City comedian showcases okay. a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I had met this comedian, Howard Thompson, who happened to start doing videos and stuff at the beginning of pandemic. So I knew he knew how to do video. Yeah. I knew he was great doing video. He's a very funny comedian and we had played a few shows together. He had invited me to do a couple of his shows. So I thought, you know what? I'm just going to see if he would be willing to, you know, film himself yeah. doing like a QVC thing and I'll just yeah. drop off a bunch of props to him and he can just like <laughs> riff, you know? So that was the original plan was, you know, yeah. I would literally just bring him like a grocery bag full of random stuff and he could yes. just talk at whatever length for with his cell phone and just give it to me. Right. Go um, crazy. Bring up whatever exactly. you got. 
<laughs> exactly. But he happens to be quarantining with his girlfriend, who is a set designer person, and his friend, uh, who I think lives in the building, or they're at least like in a pod together, just the, their two households. Yeah. He's a videographer. So he, they were able to actually set up in their kitchen like that goofy streamer set. Yeah. She like co- color coordinated the outfit that he wears to the streamers, to the stuff that I brought. Um, so again, like my findings of my props, which were influenced by what the ladies had filmed in themselves and my original inspiration that I shared with all the collaborators had influenced my prop shopping. So then I brought that to them. They created their scenario based around that. So that was really cool. And, uh, Hobart just ripped. I, he sent me a 21 minute long, (laughs) um, like manic panic. It was amazing. I like, had many moments where I was like, oh my God, he was like sweating profusely by the end. He was working so hard. It was, <laughs> it was really charming. And it was actually the hardest part, I think, of my job, cut, like editing everything, was I had to get Hobart down to just these perfect right. little tiny bits. And it, there's so much like, I feel like I could just do a music video of Hobart once a week for the rest of my life. And like, yeah. Because there's probably so much gold there, and you're like, okay, if I if I overdo this, then then it it be it's going to become something else, right? Exactly. Because yeah. the whole point was that it was the album, right? And yeah. so his job was to sell in the same way that I would have sold it to you at the show. Yeah. As this kind of goofy, like word of mouth, like you know what you need, friend, <laughs> is this album. But first, yeah. get to your friends. You know, right. I, like that was the kind of closest way I could create that kind of connection directly to the audience. But I also felt that his, it, it was interesting. Like once I started editing the stuff down, he left in quite a bit of space of him feeling up and down emotions and like the closeness of the space that he's working in is like, it feels very quarantine to me and very like low budget late night TV. And so there, there was something there was a, a vulnerable kind of streak through all of what he shared. Wow. So when I kind of really stepped back to, to do like the final few edits and to kind of use him interstitially, like throughout all of the videos, um, I changed a lot of my opinions about what I was going to include of his work, you know, cause I had like all the jokes yeah. marked out on a piece of paper. And as I was like putting them in, I was like, this feels really weird. It, it was almost like when somebody tells you something like that's like a super big deal, like secret, like that they have an eating disorder yeah. or that they were in like some traumatic accident and they have like a plate mm-hmm. in their knee or, you know, yeah. like some crazy deep, dark secret. And then they just immediately laugh it off. Um, yeah. which to me feels very like the Joker uh, sociopathic, you know? So like, I didn't want it to feel like that. Like I wanted to allow for all everybody to be, to a look their best and like be shown, you know, looking hot, like being funny, being doing cool stuff. Like I wanted everybody to, to like watch all my collaborators to be able to watch themselves and be like, hell yeah, I did something awesome. Well, but then I also wanted to make sure that, the audience got a chance to know that like this, this, I didn't want to hide the fact that we were doing it now, you know? Well, it, and it sounds like um, with, with his footage in particular, you found some vulnerability in that beyond, you know, your original concept of this sort of, mm-hmm. you know, kind of greasy huckster who's, 
you know, trying to sell you on this. And, and I guess that, that makes me think of, of, of what I would consider a, a hallmark of all really good comedy is that there is some pain and some vulnerability within and some truth within these jokes or these comedic uh, recollections. And so, you know, to, to find that and then be able to kind of shift gears again, it seems like a really good choice. And then the other thing I will say is it, it'll be interesting to look at all art that was made during this time. Right. But, you know, we're talking about yours. And so it, it'll be, it'll be interesting to look back at these videos to let's say five years from now, 10 years from now and see um, how your perspective has changed. And, you know, do they feel very much a, as a, as a pandemic time period piece or do they just evoke pain and, and, or, 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 or fun pain recollection of, of a painful time period versus that one specifically? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I've thought about it actually, like, especially after, uh, I started putting together like that, like I got an actual tape put together, you know, kind of last minute, like once I had an actual physical thing in my hand and I was like, Whoa, <laughs> like just the, the challenges to get to do that. And like, you know, the meeting people in an alley with like so many feet and everybody yeah. in masks and everybody, yeah. you know, to try to like pass product from person to person or to like, even to del like deliver, I've, you know, I've mailed some, some people tapes and then a couple people like live close by. So I'm like, Oh, I'll just deliver it. And then like, even that just feels goofy. So I don't know. I wonder if I'll look back and think, I, I, I don't know. I, ho I would hope that it stands out. I would hope that it holds up without the context of pandemic. Yeah. However, I think that the pandemic is like undeniably present. It's almost like the unspoken last cast member. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I didn't necessarily, I, I don't know that I was even all the way aware of that until the live stream because I had watched it obviously multiple times, but, uh, you know, always with the notes in yeah, mind, always right, with, okay, right. Oh, I got to fix that transition. Oh, that thing doesn't look quite right. Or yeah, you're not totally oh, man, that, in it. You're, you're floating above it as you watch it. Exactly. Yeah. Just kind or thinking even, you know, watching it while trying to think of how to talk about it. Like when I was first writing, you know, to ask a different people, you know, their opinion, like, can I get some feedback? Like, this is a weird thing I've been making. And I always felt kind of like guilty that, that during this time, like, you know, I'm a grown woman and like, and I'm at home, like carving like a giant candy heart and like <laughs> selling myself dancing with a, you know, blow up doll. Like, Ooh, is this really the best way to like use my time? So like, uh, that sounds pretty pandemic normal to me. I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm not hearing anything out of the ordinary within that. <laughs> I think all of us are coping in our own ways, right? And right. Like for me, creativity, keeping busy, keeping my, just keeping my skills sharp, even like yeah. trying to learn some new skills. Like it's, it's been a way for me to like, not, I, I've, you know, I've never, I think before now, the longest I, I had ever gone without working since I was like 12, it was maybe like 10 days. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So it's just weird. It's a weird time. And, and for me, I think, you know, one thing I thought, I thought about a lot was like, okay, 
my mantra kind of in general for the past few years is what can I do? Yeah. Because I can sometimes get bogged down, especially in creative endeavors with like, oh, I hit a wall and yep. ah, I can't get over it. You know, yep. sometimes it'll just drive me nuts. It'll get so under my skin. And it builds and builds and yeah, it makes its it own worse thing. and worse. Yeah, right. That's <laughs> yeah. like sitting in like, the room looking at you. Yeah. And you've done your like 15th vocal take and it still sounds like crap. And right. you're like, Oh God. And everybody's yeah. like wanting to go home. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I try really hard to like focus on like, okay, in that kind of a scenario, maybe I can take a walk around the block. Maybe we can move on to another song. Like what, you know, what can I do? What can I do? And so like, I don't know with, with everything going on and and where all my friends are the you know the people that I miss the experiences that I miss like how can I best like you know how can what can I make that would at least hopefully bring a little bit of joy or a little bit of just something new you know like what what can I create that's new that's keeps myself entertained that keeps my collaborators and friends entertained and hopefully like, you know, makes somebody's day ever so little bit tiny, bit brighter. Like, I guess I can make a bunch of goofy music videos and hope for the best. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, I I think you absolutely accomplished that with holiday magic and more so that, I mean, that, that is really cool. Another thing you do, if we can shift gears, yeah, we got to talk about Billy Corgi. (laughs) Yeah. There's no way to, I mean, geez, again, I mean, we could come back, we'll do the train podcast and I mean, but we got to talk a little bit about Billy Corgi. So what, what inspired you to start the zine and how did you come up with, with Billy's adventures? Okay. Billy Corgi is my favorite art project I've maybe (laughs) ever made, (laughs) which I feel, and yeah, is, is, a pre-pandemic uh, conversation that finally came to be, you know, given the time stretching out in pandemic. Yeah. Um, and anyway, so Sarah, my drummer from Baby Money, she worked at CME, uh, Chicago Music Exchange, for years and years. Mm-hmm. And I had just started a new job. Um, this is now like almost three years ago. And I was kind of having a hard time like fitting in with my new coworkers. Okay. I was feeling like really awkward. Like yeah. they had all been working together for many years. And I was like the new girl, you know? Yeah. And anyway, one day at lunch, I was texting with Sarah and I had made some joke the night before about Billy Corgan and I love puns. And yeah. so anyway, I, I like just decided to like send her like this little doodle <clears throat> <laughs> of Billy Corgi's head or Billy Corgan's head on a Corgi body. Wow. Yeah. And she thought it was hilarious. And she showed it to one of her coworkers. He thought it was hilarious. And then they showed it to a third coworker who was so frightened by it <laughs> that he like couldn't look toward her computer for like the rest of the day. She like, you know, so, so we started pranking her coworker with me drawing these Corgis at lunch <laughs> and sending them to her to prank him with. Um, uh. and I did that for a few months and it just, it, I always have drawn zines ever. I mean, that's actually been something I've done since I was really young okay. and, um, and like since elementary school. So I, you know, I've always kind of thought like, oh man, Billy Corgi would make such a fun zine because it's <laughs> a really dumb joke. It's just Billy Corgi's yeah. head on a dog body. But like that's it's perfect. not, 
That's the perfect yeah. one note comedy that you just thank it, you. Yeah. The longer you do it, uh, you're, you're going to hit the point initially funny, still funny, not funny anymore, but we're going to keep going. And then eventually you come back <laughs> on the other side and it is more funny than it ever was at the beginning. You Even if it's only to you. My sense of humor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, oh man, I love a good joke that goes way too long and then has a little comeback. Callbacks. Come on. I love it. I think it's so fun. So anyway, I think what happened was it started as this prank. And then again, at the beginning of the pandemic, I like set a few goals for myself. One being to release the holiday magic record somehow. And the the other goal I, I literally wrote down like the first week of pandemic was to draw a Billy Corgi zine, ah, single (laughs) zine. So that's a hell of a goal list too, you know? You know, I think I've wanted to do 20 push-ups a day. Like there's a few other things, but like those are my art goals at the, the beginning important of the pandemic. Goals. Yeah, right. Yeah. Billy Corgi and filming myself with a goofy toy. Um yeah. so Mission when I accomplished, decided, by the way. Thank Good you. job. <laughs> uh, I had a lot of fun. Uh, so I yeah, Billy Corgi, I had the idea for the first issue, um, which is just like a basic like Billy, basically an introduction to the idea of Billy Corgi and the world that Billy Corgi lives in, which is all in like in it is contemporary, whichever Billy you're seeing. Like if you see a 1990s Billy, you're in the 90s. If you see like an old (laughs) beat ass Billy, we are right now, sister (laughs) and brother, you know, like he, he, he just became this goofy, fun thing for me to draw. And as I started like looking into him, he's such a strange like American, especially in Chicago, everybody yeah. of a certain age has a story right. with him or about him or yes. about their friend dating him or some restaurant he opened or was at, or I don't right. know. And he yeah. also has like these very odd, like the things he's famous for or infamous for are very strange. Yeah. He's a very, uh, anti-hero type character in my mind. There's a lot to mind. Yeah. Yeah. And man, he has some strange history, some strange, I mean, it just, as I started like even interviews of his, I could just do a series of just drawing out his interviews and it would be like, (laughs) I did an issue actually in the, in the first season, as I'm calling it, of Billy Corgi. Excellent. um, Of him on Conan O'Brien. And it's real quotes of his that I've like chopped way down. Um, Cause he's just, he's just an odd man. And, yeah, and yeah, yeah, in his world, obviously at all, everyone is a quirky body. So <laughs> that influences a lot of things. Um, I love it. And I just, yeah, that's, that's kind of where he started, but I actually have big plans for Billy Quirky. Okay. Yeah. Don't spoil it. I mean, like, I feel like if we, if we give too much away, then uh, there, there's a mystique here. That just uh, you, just keep posted because you just have to go there's definitely <laughs> there will be some some more corgis to be had in the spring and summer. We'll I say feel that. like I feel like Billy Corgi is the pyramid scheme that I didn't know I was getting involved in. You know, it's like holiday magic was the was the ruse, and then you know was you the get, bait. yeah the bait, and now 
now you're in on the Billy Corgi and that's the real pyramid scheme. That's the problem. Oh my God. That is hilarious. I might, if I, if I go that route, I will definitely uh, make sure that you get your subscription for free. Excellent. (laughs) So I was reading one of your bios, not the one where you're not of work Carney, but the one that describes the down payments as whiskey drinking, pizza slinging, dinosaur loving family band. So I got to ask, what's your favorite whiskey, your favorite pizza, and your favorite dinosaur? Oh, man. These are such good questions. Okay. My favorite whiskey, no lie, Wild Turkey. I love it. I think it's an amazing, crappy whiskey. Yes. My favorite drink on planet Earth is a Wild Turkey with club soda and a lemon. Okay. I'm feeling real fancy, a little splash of bitters. There you go. Um, (laughs) You know, that's definitely the one for me. My favorite pizza, I was recently introduced to a pizza chain called Bonchi. Okay, I've heard of that. All right. Okay, so apparently it was Anthony Bourdain's favorite place in Rome. Oh, wow. Was like the standalone only Bonchi. And then what they decided to do is they decided to open up one shop in the United States and they opened up in Fulton Market District in Chicago. Oh, nice. And then they decided to open like a second location also in Chicago, which I think is really goofy. Right. And so I was like very skeptical. No way. I don't want to go there. That place is a chain. Like I, yeah. I want real Chicago. If I'm going to go get pizza to, to go right now, like I'm going to make sure I'm supporting like a Chicago eatery. Yeah. They're like, no, no, this isn't, this is, trust me. If you go there, like you'll see it's a, I, you know, and I don't know the whole story or whatever, but man, that pizza is so good. And okay. yo, they have this one. That is like thin, chewy. It's like a Roman style pizza, you know, so it's like a thin, chewy crust. And it has like fresh, delicious ricotta, like that's been very clearly made in house. It has lemon um, peel shaved over, black pepper, arugula. That pizza is the bomb. It is so good. All right. Well, see, anytime I can get a good pizza recommendation, it's, it's already been a good podcast episode. So there you go. I would highly recommend it. I don't know if it's a major corporation or not. <laughs> we would have to, we would have to do maybe money was, might not eat there, but, but <laughs> maybe we money might not eat there, but Pamela really right. enjoyed it. <laughs> and favorite dinosaur. Um, yeah. My favorite. So this is an, this is an interesting one because one of my many uh, employments as a carny I worked at the Field Museum of Natural History. Okay. Um, I've never actually been a carny, but I do. So I make scenery. I've made exhibits. I've done retail displays, stuff like that. And yep. for a couple of years, I worked at the Field Museum as a uh, artifact handler and mount maker. Okay. So I got to actually handle like all sorts of super amazing dinosaur bones and teeth and um artifacts from like all over the world and all this other stuff. Very good. And I remember talking to this paleontologist when I was working there, I was working on a show about Antarctic dinosaurs and I was like so curious and it was just like, it's so exciting as an artist, you know, art, the art and arts and sciences, I think touch and overlap so much. And so, yeah, like I, here I am like sketching and measuring and photographing a thing that you dug out of the ground in Antarctica, Mm -hmm. Sarah, will you please explain to me, you know, like, what am I looking at? What part of the animal is this? Stuff like that. Anyway, I asked this paleontologist what their favorite dinosaur was and they gave me an answer that I will never forget. 
And so I'm going to copy it because it's my favorite as well. But he said the owl is his favorite dinosaur. What? Um, because dinosaurs are birds. So their descendants. Oh, yeah. Isn't that fascinating? So anyway, I love owls. They're one of my favorite animals of all. Yeah. So I believe that's probably my favorite. Although, you know, I, I like sauropods, like the long neck yeah. dinosaurs. Um, but that's a solid three answers. I mean, you, you can... Th- those those are walk-off answers for sure. You're good to go. Thank you. I mean, wild Thank turkey, monty, <laughs> an owl. I did not expect any of... Well, I, I maybe could have seen wild turkey come up, but the other ones you definitely definitely gave, uh, gave me a run for my money. So very, very, very good. Now, Pamela, last question. It's your okay. chance to ask me a question. Ooh. Oh yeah. man. Well, you have done an excellent, excellent job, uh, being thoughtful, thorough and asking like three dimensional questions. Do you have a interviewer that you most admire? Oh, hmm. That is a good question. And boy, I don't know because, you know, there are so many different ways to approach a subject, right? And right. and a person. And I think of some of the classic, like late night talk show hosts. I think Letterman was always a really good interviewer and had a way about a way to get through maybe like the prepared story or prepared remarks to find something that might be real. I mean, it's hard to argue with somebody like Oprah, right? I mean, you you watch the way that, that she has been able to transcend decades and, you know, the different elements of, of, of decades and be almost a chameleon in, in, in her own persona, but still a really, I mean, I, I think it was, um, the last dance, she was, um, she had Michael Jordan on and, and some others mm. in the nineties. And I mean, just like you think yep. of like, you, you could interview sports, uh, sports figures, celebrities, politicians. I mean, um, and you get to the heart of it. Yeah. yeah. Marin's podcast is really good. Obviously he's a, he's a fantastic interviewer and, and approaches subject, oh my God. you know, he, he, but, but the interesting thing about him is he is, the subject always, right? Like he is the wash over every interview. Um, but, but he's able to use himself to distill or maybe use his own pain or his own perspective to distill these other very real moments out of people. Yeah. What about you? Do you have a favorite interviewer? Oh man, those are good. Uh, I've always thought I, I would love to be on fresh air. Oh God, I can't believe I forget her. Yeah. Terry is, uh, she is really good too. And, and her voice is so thing. soothing too. I know. Yeah. I love Mark Marion though. I, but no, all everybody you mentioned and I would say Terry Gross and you, you, yeah, it's asking the question kind of either in a more, more or less specific way to open up the conversation a little bit more um, versus just asking like, 
who are your three greatest influences? Boop, boop, boop. Oh, it's like, on. you know. Let me cross that <laughs> one know, off. Can... I was just getting ready to ask that. Hang on. No, just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, even I feel like the it's you can ask that question, like Letterman or you or any, you know. I'm trying to think of other good interviewers, but Oprah's a really good example of this. She's still asking people what their favorite ice cream is. She's just asking it in a way that they tell you more than just their favorite ice cream. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Well, Pamela, this was a blast. And I really enjoyed learning more about the way that holiday magic came about. There's just so much there. And I appreciate you kind of unwrapping some of that for us. So hopefully when folks go back and take a listen or, or, or give a watch and listen, they'll have more of that perspective and they'll know how critical Bruce was to the, uh, to the making of, he's, he's of this magic. Cast member. Yeah. Give me Bruce's number when, when you get a chance, I'd like to have him on, on a podcast down the road. He's kind of shy, but I'll see what I can do. Maybe it'll have to be a, a, a typed interview response, you know, so we'll do it over chat. hilarious all right well thank you so much for having me this is actually really really informative things i hadn't even put uh words to so i really appreciate it awesome it was super fun I was broke when you met me